Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckert. It is Tuesday night. We just finished playing the Clippers. I would ask you how you're feeling. I will ask you how you're feeling. How are you feeling, Dave? I don't know. I've been yawning a lot. It's no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we we just have to put this out here now. Okay. Okay. Before we even started the podcast, mm-hmm. you know, we do this. We do this over Zoom. You know, we have a little chat before we start and make sure everything is said. And I have this thing with yawning where I I do it and I can't even now just saying the word now I have to do it again and I can't stop. And so then Dave was laughing at me, which mean meant that I couldn't get it out. So now they're just stuck in there, and I'm trying to avoid yawning and even the mention of the word makes me need to yawn so now i have like four more built up so now that we've got that out of the way i am a pastor i am immune to people yawning while i speak it does not phase me at all so i think we're okay uh, in any case the blazers will play one more game before you hear this this is uh, versus the denver nuggets we'll hope that's a win everybody was predicting a big loss against the clippers tonight considering how the blazers had played earlier in the week and damian lillard just missed his third game when the people are predicting that the blazers have no chance that's exactly when they'll play well and right. they did they ended up losing by one point because well paul george could score inside and the blazers themselves couldn't hit a jumper down the stretch otherwise this would have been a win not so bad. They did get a win in San Antonio, though. Did you? I mean, how do you feel about that game? They started off uh, last Friday with a victory on the road that people were saying maybe this turns around the season. Yeah, well, and we didn't have Dame. Dame's been hurt for the last three games, and so it felt like a really big win to win that game without him on the road. San Antonio, you know, that was that was a a, a that's a decent win. We only won by one point. I hesitate to say a win is a win right now because I know we're also going to have to talk about the two losses Mm -hmm. and it's going to turn around. But it is. I mean, we won and it felt good and it was fun to watch them play that way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we got another taste of that tonight. And as Cantor had a really good game against San Antonio, though, we should mention that. That was another really, he's he's had quite a few. I mean, he's had a really good two week span. He's really played some solid ball. Wasn't that much of a factor tonight against the Clippers, but I've been impressed by him. The defense is still not there, but if you ignore that and you understand the interior defense is just not going to exist, and you put that out of your mind, he's actually he's actually fun to watch, and he's he's been turning a couple games, and it's been great. Now, the season-turning, air quotes, win against San Antonio morphed into what may have been the worst, most disappointing effort of the season, and that's saying something against Charlotte. To say they came out flat would be an insult to flatness. They just were not within five feet of anyone defending. They didn't defend inside. They didn't defend outside, which begs the question, where were they defending? I mean, I guess the popcorn vendor got blocked a couple of times, but everybody else scored. And it was just magnificent in its awfulness, jaw-dropping. And it's as if they held up a sign that says, please do not consider us contenders in Anyway, do not take us seriously. This is it. You can put a nail in this season in the coffin. It's done. And then, of course, as we said, as soon as they do that and you say, okay, we'll give you up for dead. Now they come back and play really well against the Clippers. So, I mean, what do you make of this other than that's so Portland? Well, I mean, it seems like you've got some feelings about it. Yeah, it was a rough loss. I mean, we knew that the second half of the season was going to be a tough schedule. We knew that. Sure, and but Charlotte, they had a day's rest and it's Charlotte. It wasn't. And Milwaukee. we had no Dame. We no, also had no, no Dame. Dame against San Antonio either. And they, I know. They played better than that. It is what it is. I mean, I, I'm i the first to say a win is a win. And the same thing is true of a loss. A loss is a loss. It doesn't matter if it was close. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I tend to say it does matter a little bit more because you see that they at least are playing well. If it's close, you could have won. So you know if you meet them in a series, maybe it's going to be a different story. I tend to think that. 
yeah, it sucked. It wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. It's one game. Okay, but okay, saying they were without Dame though. Okay, I get it. Look, you go to make a burrito and you're without ground beef. You have a vegetarian burrito. You don't make meth. And that's basically what they did. Dame was gone. I mean, and that's, all of a a sudden, no, <laughs> that's a stretch. No, it was horrible. It was horrible. Losing Dame should not, should not impact the defense that bad. Agreed. Agreed. And, and that's I, what was just, did you see the first quarter? Oh my gosh. Look, I mean, I'm everybody not, was I'm not dunking on it, them. I'm not saying it was a good game. What I'm saying is it was only one loss. It wasn't 12. So, you know, we can move on. To the Clippers game, One, which two, we did. Three, four, five, six, seven. Well, don't, they haven't gotten don't, 12. No, no, <laughs> they no. They haven't gotten 12 in April, no, but they do have seven no. losses. No, Dave, no. They're a little, no. They're a little bit three no. and seven in April. Okay. If I just keep saying no over the top of you, will that do anything? <laughs> yeah, okay. So they played well against the Clippers. Look, uh, and, and what happened? Uh, well, first of all, uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson played a big role against LA he started versus Charlotte but that didn't help it I mean I don't know what happened there but the defense was not better well and they didn't play Derek Jones Jr. in that game there was some weird stuff going on there there was just so Dame was out Derek Jones Jr. didn't play Rondé Hollis Jefferson started like it just it seemed like the whole thing was off you've got feelings about this game so I didn't say a lot but it does see it seems like there was just something not quite clicking there and it it was it was a weird it, it was a weird game to me it was just a weird game it was like you kind of played Mad Libs with the with the roster or with the rotation. <laughs> like threw them all in a hat, shook them up, and pulled random people and stuck them out there. It just it was very it was very odd. It was a very odd way of, and especially not seeing Derek Jones Jr. play for no apparent reason. Even Stotts said there wasn't really it wasn't planned. It was very odd. It was very odd. It was a weird night. Carmelo Anthony was the leading scorer too, and he, with Norman Powell and C.J. McCollum on there. I mean, God, God bless Melo. Yeah, the Clipper game was better. Uh, I was going to say Nasir Little and Rondé Hellas Jefferson actually keyed a little bit of defense. So kind of the forward duo both went out there to defend. Little got 10 rebounds too. Little has shown us something in this season. There are sparks there. Now, you know, you don't annoyed him the next starter or whatever necessarily, but he's not playing poorly with the minutes he's getting. He's one of the people who's stepping up nearly every time he hits the floor. Yeah. Well, and I think especially as we've talked about before, while we want to surround Dame with people who can help him win because he's in his prime and CJ's in his prime, you know, we've got these players right now that we need to don't start that. I just (laughs) yawned. Oh my God. It's contagious. It has made its way from LA to Boise. Oh man. So while we want to surround, you know, our, our key players with players that can bring them a win, bring us a win of a championship, not just one game. I take Um, a game at this point, but okay. (laughs) I do think that, you know, we've talked about before. It's important to keep in mind our future. We may have to make some sacrifices one way or another if we want to win big, I do think it's important to be thinking about that. And Nasir Little is a way that we can be thinking about that. You know, he's he's one of these guys that he's young. He's with us. We aren't going to lose him if we don't want to, probably. And so we might as well just, Dave? <laughs> keep going. Yeah, we might as well just keep him. Play him. We might as well just keep him. And I think, I think he's someone who's going to be really solid for us. I think he's, you know, like you said, he's showing a lot of promise. He's able to get out there and play well, he doesn't seem intimidated. He seems to know what he's doing. He plays like he belongs. And I like it. I like seeing him. I'm seeing a lot of really positive feedback from other fans about him. And I, I, I think he'll stick around for a while. So Anthony Simons has had the more exciting season and it's shown more NBA punch. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. But I kind of like Nasir a little better. I kind of yeah, like I, Nasir I, I, prospects better because the Blazers need that all-around player. And I don't see Simons fitting in when Lillard is here, frankly, uh, but I see Little being quite valuable. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Nasir Little fan. I really am. I, I well, hope we keep him. I'm a little fan. I like it. We need to write that <laughs> That was good to see. It's good to see him playing well. I mean, really, really, we played well tonight. It's not a loss to be upset about considering the fact that people did not think that we were going to win against the Clippers or even probably come close uh, with both Dame and Nurk out. But we did pretty well. And we saw some, you know, again, some flashes of really good stuff 
Really um, good defense some, at, yeah, I was at gonna certain say some points. Good defense. Just uh, down the stretch, the interior yep. defense just wasn't there. I mean, they, they, yeah. and the Clippers knew that. And by the way, the Clippers went something like one for nine in the fourth quarter on their threes. I mean, so that's part of it. Had they hit like 33% on the threes, they would have won handily. But it was a night where the door was open because they couldn't yeah. hit a three-pointer. Fair enough. But then they knew that, and Paul George read that and just drove the lane, and nobody could come close to stopping him. Uh, either they fouled him or he scored. And that's basically the epitaph of the game. And again, it's like, okay, so you get nights like Charlotte where the Blazers can't defend anything, and then you get nights like the Clippers where they have to choose. They can defend one thing or the other thing. Right. And that's often enough to get a regular season win, but against really good teams or against teams in the postseason, defending one thing or the other thing just isn't going to get it done because the team can always do the other thing. But at least we were defending one or the other and not just not defending. Well, I mean, so, that's, I mean- that's the lens. <laughs> and, and, and to your point, look, the, the loss to Boston last Tuesday was by one point. The loss to the Clippers this Tuesday was by one point. So there were a couple of games where one shot could have made the difference. And those were both losses, and that kind of hurts. So, you know, it could, it could be the other way. But I don't think I would feel any better, frankly. Had, I will tell you this. Had the Blazers won tonight by one point instead of lost by one point, I would not have felt any better. because they Really? really no, not a bit, because they showed it in Charlotte. They showed, I don't want to say exactly who they were, because that's the bad side of who they were but the problem is you can't have that bad side if you're making a serious run for for cd you can't give up that game like that that's a wild take dave to say that you wouldn't have been any more happy if we'd won the game versus lost the game what do you mean it's not going to change the seating probably and even if it did they're not you can't look but a win is a win dave a win is a win but you gotta want to win but ultimately it's well i did want to win but it wouldn't have made me much happier because ultimately this is a game about repetition and it's a game about will as well as being about talent and the talent the Blazers probably have. But being able to repeat taking advantage of it and being able to exert their will over the opponent. Again, a game like they played in Charlotte just shows that if you poke, it's paper thin. And if you get in the middle, it's just mush in there. And that's a real problem. Okay, I'm going to step back for a second because something really cool happened for me personally tonight. And I want to share this. I have a four-year-old son who suffered from a massive amount of seizures for a couple years of his life. We were in and out of hospitals, in and out of emergency rooms, ambulance rides, the whole deal. He ended up seeing a team of neurologists at Children's Hospital of Orange County to try to figure out what's going on. Anyway, long story short, we never got answers. We ruled some things out, but we never really had answers. Thankfully, he seems to be mostly better. He does not suffer from the seizures like he did then. However, there were some side effects. And one of the side effects that we we assume is because of that, based on you know things his doctors have said, is a massive speech delay. He's four years old, which... For many kids are, you know, they speak like a tiny adult. And for Jesse, he has struggled. He struggled to talk a year ago. Something just popped up, you know, those time hop things that tell you what happened a year ago. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about how I couldn't understand a thing he said when he asked for cheese. And one of his siblings like tried to translate. It was a whole thing. So a year ago, he was not speaking audibly where you could understand him. So tonight he climbed up on my bed with me and was laying there watching, you know, and my daughter, we talked about my daughter and her fandom for the Blazers. She's eight. But Jesse climbed up next to me and was watching the game tonight with me a little bit at the beginning. And there was a shot, you know, of everybody playing. And he says, he looks at me and he says, mama, I like his red shoes. And right at that moment, they happened to zoom in on CJ's shoes. And I said, well, that's CJ. And Jesse says, it is. I like him. First of all, the fact that my son, who's four years old and really doesn't fully understand everything, is sitting here watching the game with me and choosing the right team (laughs) and, you know, making that connection was really cool. But then to just listen to him put sentences together and, and be able to get thoughts out I know he's been thinking he's his processing and everything has been normal. It's just been the ability to communicate that. And so to have him be able to communicate that he likes a player, you know, to have an opinion and be able to voice that, Hey, at four years old, 
I like CJ McCollum. That was just really cool. I bring that up now because, you know, we we dive into all this stuff and we get into the the ins and the outs and the wins and the losses and your opinions and my opinions and, you know, the the ups and downs. And that's all part of being a Blazer fan. That's all part of being any kind of sports fan. And it's important. If we didn't care about the wins and losses, this would be a totally different show. But I think sometimes every now and then, and maybe right now in the midst of this crazy time that we're having as Blazer fans, where we're like right on the verge and we know it's there and it's possible and we want to see it happen. I think sometimes it's important to take a step back and remember that there are bigger things to this game and there are bigger reasons to love it. And I think a lot of us as Blazers fans, and we've talked about this on our show, we've talked about this on the site. This has a way of bringing people together. It has a way of bringing families together. These things that happen that are big moments. That was a big thing for me to have my child make that connection and say these sentences. And I don't know. I just think that's, I think that's something that we can still talk about the wins and losses all we want. But for me, you know, I'm sitting here and we're talking about this game and you're talking about the loss and how you wouldn't have been any happier. And I'm just thinking, man, I'm just happy my kid talked. So I just thought I would share that story. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know what? You can peel back layers to it. And that's the nice thing is that there's a foundation under there. I think one can admit the truth about how the Blazers are playing and in some ways even regard that indicative of who they are because they're showing who they are. And it's not bad, but it's not great. But even if that's so, you peel back that layer and say, oh, okay, there's that. But underneath it, there's still something more. I mean, there's a lot of talent there. There's the relationship with the fans. There's the excitement about new players and young players and Damian Lillard, for goodness sake. And by the way, Damian Lillard, three games out with hamstring remedying something, not quite tendonitis, tendo, springy doodle, whatever the thing is called (laughs) in, I say, using my media savvy, a little bit scary. Okay, yeah. because one game, one game arrest. Hey, that's the Dame needs it. He deserves it. Two games. Okay, uh, third game, you're going like, um, yeah. I'm, you Is wanna- this going to be an ongoing thing? Exactly. Do we need to be worried? Yeah. That said, for now, it's not. Uh, Chris Haynes of Yahoo t- tweeted right after this game that Lillard will play versus Denver. He will have played if all goes well by the time you hear this. But at the same time, I don't want. I want him to have a break if needed. Yeah. I don't want him to have like one game or two games on and three off. I don't think the Blazers can afford that. Right. Um, So, you know, a little scary. And by the way, they don't look the same without him. They don't. I mean, the defense, the defense isn't better. Frankly, the defense didn't improve that much. There are moments, but overall they're still not great. And the offense is not good. It's just not as productive for one thing, but also as we saw down the stretch versus the Clippers, when you needed someone to hit that shot, Norman Powell missed a couple, CJ McCollum missed the potential game winner. And that's not an indictment on them. Everybody misses shots. You you know, you get 48% of them. That means more than half are going to miss, right? Even if you're a great shooter. But at the same time, it wasn't the same feeling, was it? When you watch those guys pull up, it was like, I hope they hit instead of that's in that you get with Dame. So anybody who thinks that Damian Lillard is not an MVP candidate uh, in general, if not specifically, anyone who thinks that Lillard does not make an outsized difference, a unique difference on this team, you saw it tonight. It, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's, it's not the same. Well, I mean, I even saw on message boards and things after the San Antonio win, I saw people saying, well, we won without Dame. We might as well trade him. And it's like, no, you know, that's no, gotta be a joke, right? No, I saw that so many times. I mean, I wish it was a joke, but I think that there are actually people that are that delusional about this. It's one of those things that, yeah, we technically have a winning record without Dame. We also have a winning record with Dame. We've picked up and we've done what we needed to do when Dame wasn't there. But out of three games that we haven't had him, we won one. It's not a long-term solution. They may be able to pull it together temporarily, depending on how the other team plays, depending on you know a myriad of factors. But that doesn't mean that we don't need him. He's a big part of this. And even, even you see him on the sidelines coaching and yelling and doing things like that. Even from the sidelines, he's valuable. You know, this whole MVP thing, if you take one player, there's only one other player that I feel like this about. I don't know if we should talk about that or not, but I think that of all the players in the NBA, Dame is the most valuable when you take him away from his team, you put him back in. 
he's one of those that he makes the biggest difference. You do that with anyone else, and I don't think it's going to make as big of a difference. The only other person that I think, and I, I he actually hasn't really been in talks uh, that I've seen a lot, is is Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul is one of these players where you can stick him in a team and he is going to make a gigantic difference on whatever team he's on. I think that's what you've got with Dame. Some of these other candidates that are MVPs, they're important, they're valuable, but to put them as the most valuable in the NBA to their team, a lot of these teams would win without them. Yeah, I mean, you could make a strong argument for Giannis, Jokic, and LeBron being of that same description, I think. I mean, Embiid too, but I think the Sixers can work around Embiid. I think Embiid, if you drafted today for the next 10 years, obviously you take Embiid because he's a more unique player and younger. But Dame is not going to be the MVP. That's just not going to happen at this point this year. But I agree that the Blazers are a ghost of what they were without him, even with all the talent that they sport, even with the scoring ability of McCollum and, and whatever. You know what's funny? It shows you, though switching tracks a little bit. When Norman Powell missed a couple of three-pointers from the right-hand coffin corner down the stretch, it's ironic. It shows you how this season is going. As much as I love Norm, I, I've thought, you know what? Robert Covington would have hit those shots. And it's like, yeah. oh, wow. I mean, way to go, Robert Covington. I, that, this would not have been said during the first couple of weeks of the season. Right, right. But I He's, wanted him in yep. that corner, and I want Powell driving down the lane. And by the way, CJ got open for his final shot. It just wasn't a comfortable open. It was kind of leaning a little bit and a little precarious. That was the difference, I think. And you just, you can tell. Watch anybody else's release. Watch anybody else's body. Watch, monitor your own internal mechanisms as someone takes that shot. Versus when Dame takes it. And when Dame takes it, everything visual that you see is telling you that this is a good thing. And everything internally that you feel is just gearing up for celebration. It's not questioning at all at this point. And that's incredible what he's been able to do to all of us and the league. Yeah, well, he's created trust. When someone continually doesn't let you down, you trust them. And that's what Dame's done, essentially. He's created this trust where Stotts doesn't yell at him for taking a shot at half court because he trusts that he can make it. I caught myself thinking at one point, man, you know, as as I'm watching the clock tick down and, and the score is what it is, I'm thinking, can we just put Dame in like for five minutes? Like, can he just, <laughs> we just need him temporarily here because he's created that trust. He's created this You know, we know that he is capable of doing this. That's not to say that we don't have other players that are capable of doing it. We've seen CJ do it. I feel like we've seen Norm do some of that stuff too, but it's just a different kind of trust with Dame than anybody else. And anybody else in the league, maybe. I mean, it's just, you. he would be on the short list of people if you had to take a shot to save the world. I think you'd want it in Dame's hands. I mean, you could say LeBron kind of, Steph Curry at any time, for any reason, you would put the ball in his hands. Right. But I, other than those two, LeBron because of reputation and Curry because of his awesome skill, I don't think, and I'm not even sure entirely that I would pay, I would, I would say those three are on a level playing field as far as who you want to have the last shot. Uh, and that's a testament to Dame because I don't think he's reached the stratosphere overall of the other two, uh, but he's certainly not far below. And when it comes to that moment, he may be above them. Yeah, I'd go as far as to say I'd give it to him over LeBron in a situation like that. Steph has, again, you know, is Steph, but it's massive what Dame has has done already and, and just where he's at. It's it's insane. And he's definitely, definitely missed right now. But glad mm-hmm. to hear he'll be back. That'll be good. So we mentioned it a little bit, but Derek Jones Jr. has been up and down as far as playing time. Seems to be... I don't know. I I don't want to say he's on the outs because that's not accurate, but there's some weird stuff going on with the coaches and Jones or Stotts and Jones. Yeah. To have him go from being a starter not long ago to literally not playing one minute in a game that we were shorthanded for no apparent reason is very odd. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I'm not one to, you know, question things a lot. I tend to think that you know, these guys know each other. The coach knows them. The staff know, like they know more than I know as a fan. But in that case, that was really weird. It was really weird to see him not go in even a little bit in a situation where we probably really kind of needed him. 
Yeah, so here's a logical argument, and we we need to hearken back to what we said at the beginning of the season that Derek Jones Jr. is best on defense, not as a he's not a Robert Covington type defender. But right. when you let him take risks, when he can get out and get right in somebody's grill, get his hands busy, move his feet, and kind of bother you aggressively, he can actually be pretty good. But yeah. that requires a backstop. And if you you want to play conservatively because you don't have a backstop, which is exactly where the Blazers are right now. Jones isn't going to be your guy. First of all, he's not solid enough overall. But second, you take away his spark. You take away his best utility, which is creating chaos using his athleticism. And I think it's possible that Jones is getting out of position a little bit. He's not quite effective at sealing people off, channeling the right direction or stopping them. And Stotts is going, you know, that's just, I mean, all due respect, but that's just not the way we need to play right now because it creates another problem rather than being part of the solution. Now, I think that's a little bit of a stretch because I think DJJ can play a little better than that. And I don't think he's the problem defensively, but Stotts may be looking at him and saying, you know what? I, I need a more veteran presence. I need a more controlled presence because this tornado in a, in a jar, we can't unleash it. So, hey, I'm going with somebody else. That said, I don't like it, I don't think, because I think it messes with, first of all, it messes with Jones Jr. Second of all, it messes with rhythm and continuity even more because you're shorthanded. Third, I like the guy. I like like him darting the baseline. I like him going, I don't like the Derek Jones Jr. who just sets up for threes, but I do like it when his teammates find him or creates a threat going to the bucket without the ball. And I think the Blazers need more of that, not less. So... It's a little confusing to me, but I think it's more indicative of things, as you said, are really weird. Things are falling apart a little bit. And this is just one of the things that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in that situation. Yeah, it's it's definitely there's stuff obviously going on behind the scenes. We also have seen a lot about Stotts being in the hot seat. There's rumors swirling there's articles being written there's talk of him being in the hot seat you take this one dave i want to know what you think we talked about at the beginning of the season that this was a season they had to win or everything got changed right and they've won but it's, it's seeming to fall apart a little bit so people are reverting back to that you know realization it got covered pretty easily in 30 and 20 let's put it that way when the blazers were 30 and 20 30 and 19 it, it looked like okay well maybe the things are going to go right As soon as things stop going right, now we revert back to the old mode, which is not inaccurate, but it's not new either, that that was always there. Uh, Stotts is not the issue here, and we know that, and this is the problem, because you jump on it like vultures circling around a struggling man in the desert, and you you tend to overemphasize it. This is a long-term thing. It's systemic. And it's revealing problems that were already there, not the problems the coach is creating. That said, there is some truth to this in that at some point you do lose people's attention. You just do. And that happens in every organization. And I think Stott's voice has been repeated a lot. And if he goes, I think that's why. I don't think it's because he's a problem or he's a bad coach. I think because at this point we are, you know, nine years into this experiment and it's not getting better. So you have to A, change something and B, say, you know, maybe it is just nine years of any voice and not getting the ultimate results is enough justification to say, let's do something new. Unfortunately, Terry is going to suffer for that if and when that happens. And that's going to be sad. He's going to be blamed. And if the Blazers get an uptick next year, just because there's a new voice and it's reasonably competent, Terry will be vilified. But I don't think that that's justified. I don't. I understand the articles. I think that one was actually pretty good that was recently written. But it's not new, folks. It's not different. And it's still not his fault. And by the way, I don't think he should be the only one who goes if this doesn't Agreed. work out. I think it's real hard in this situation to blame a coach entirely. I don't think you can do that in this. I, I think that there are situations where you can look at it and say, okay, this coach needs to go. There are issues here whatever that may be. We've seen that happen before. It's not unheard of, but that's not 
the case here. You know, he seems to be well loved by the players. He's competent. He's doing his job. I don't think that this is the kind of thing where you can say this is all his fault. And I 100% agree with you that if they're going to take out the coach, you have to start questioning Neil Olshay too. You can't go after Terry Stotts and I'm ignore not, sorry, Neil. Sorry, I'm laughing at start questioning. At what? <laughs> well, you said start questioning. It was let's oh, see, well, two thousand. Okay, not start. At least. Yeah. <laughs> the, okay, rephrasing. Yeah, no, you're if, good. You're good. I know it's funny. <laughs> if you're gonna take out Terry's dots, Neil Olshay needs to be in question as well. Those two things work together, and if they're not working together, it's not going to work. And so, if Neil isn't willing to make the personnel changes that Stotts needs. You know, there, there's a whole lot of moving pieces here and you can't just fire the coach and hope that fixes everything. I'm not saying that I think either of those things should necessarily be done. I'm not necessarily saying that I think that Stotts should be fired. I tend to not be one of those people. I'm also not saying that I think Neil Olshay should go. I, I'm not saying those things. What I'm saying is if the decision is made that Stotts has to go, they have to look beyond just him and look at what's going to make a difference here in reality. Yeah. And one wonders if they turn over the whole team, if then that isn't a franchise changing moment where ownership goes as well. I mean, we could see dominoes fall one after another. Here. Although probably uh, Jody Allen might've figured out that the NBA values are appreciating. And also if there's expansion, there's huge expansion fees coming. So there, that might play into it, but there might be, big changes on the horizon. Um, and, you know, fair enough. It's been fairly stable in most ways, except for, you know, obviously Paul Allen passed and that was very sad. But Neil Olshay's been there for a while. Terry Stotts has been there for a while. They've had a, a big run by NBA standards with the same basic roster and it's produced okay, but it's not like this was a Boston Celtics in the 80s roster or, you know, even... I guess what the Milwaukee Bucks are doing right now or Denver Nuggets or whatever, you're more help, hopeful about those teams than about the Blazers. Look, there's probably justification for them having been here, but there's also justification for moving them. But again, let's go back to the Charlotte game again one more time. Do we have there, to? Yes, because there's no way <laughs> people want to say, ah, this is evidence that the coach is terrible. There's no way, no way that you coach players to stand five feet away and watch somebody shoot. No coach in the universe draws a scheme to give opponents dunks in the half court, okay? So there's something worse than coaching going on here. Now, whether there was a mini rebellion, whether everybody was just frazzled, whether it was just an off night and it was crazy, okay, coaching can be involved in some of those things. But overall, Terry Stotts did not tell them to do that. And by, right. I guess you could also say there's evidence that his voice couldn't stop it either. That again is just an argument about repetition. It's not an argument about his competence or the scheme or whatever. What happened in Charlotte was not scheme related. What happened in Charlotte was a total breakdown of culture, organization, roster, lineup, communication, whatever it was. And that goes farther than just a head coach. Yeah. I don't think this is an easy fix. I think there's a lot of issues that are deep-rooted. It's a combination of things. I don't think there's just, well, you trade this player or you acquire this player or you fire this person or whatever. Like, There's going to be a lot of moves that need to be made over the next few years if they want to see something happen. I'm glad that's not my job. I'm really glad that's not my job. I think I would take Vanderpool as an option, but yeah. I want you know I wanted Monty. We've said this before. They need a Monty William and Eric Spolstra, maybe a Brad Stevens. Uh, I'd love to see Spolstra. I mean, he's from Portland, so yeah, I mean, but that you know, it's it, we're not saying this is going to happen. No, I'm just saying no. if you were to, who would you replace Stotts with? I don't think that's an easy upgrade, frankly. No, and no, it's not. The players or the coaches we just named are three of the ones that I would consider. Yeah, you're upgrading, and this would be a good move. After that, gets a little bit sketchy. Yeah. It's, this is one of those things that's really hard for me because I really like Stotts and I think he does a good job. I wonder if that's really going to make a difference. I, I don't know. I default to the fact that I'm really glad that this is not my job. I'm really glad I don't have to make these decisions because I would probably get fired. <laughs> I, yeah. I've, if I was the owner three years ago, changes would have been made then. 
Although yeah. I would have retained thoughts. I mean, I would have. I think he was good, and I think he did have the ears of this team for a long time. I think what they did in their Western Conference Finals run versus Denver was great. I mean, that was one of the classic series of all time, and I think they were well-coached. I think they were cohesive as a unit, and even without use of Nurkic, they won that series. And I could not have more respect for the players or their coach in that moment. It didn't translate onward the way it should have. I'm not talking about just losing to Golden State handily in the series after. I mean, since it has not translated into good things. That said, they've also never had Nurkic back at full strength. So, yeah. I, I, but I think Stotts is not going to survive that this time if you pushed me, you know, because there have been other injuries and other things, and he's always kind of dodged it because there were other reasons. I think there are still other reasons, but he's not going to be out, able to outrun them at this point. It would not surprise me if he was gone at the end of the season. I won't like that. I don't think it's something we all should circle around and say, ah, let's report on this as if it's a great thing. I think it's actually. It's actually not, and we need to look deeper than just, hey, the coach is on the hot seat, but that doesn't right. mean it's not going to happen. No, and I think anytime something like this happens where you have a team that you think is going to do well and they don't, so the fingers start getting pointed and there needs to be a scapegoat and someone to blame. And so I think I think that's a lot of what we're seeing with this and what we're seeing with people who are calling to have him fired is it's like they need to blame someone. They need to see something move, some kind of movement so that they're justified in that. And I think that's a lot of what's happening here. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to Dave and Dia shows one and two in the preseason, go back, listen to them now. We told you exactly this. I mean, we called this down to the letter. I'm not aggrandizing us, although, yes, you should listen to us. But, like, literally, <laughs> just this is part of what frustrates me. People come up with it. Well, this is brand new, and this is a new development. No, this is the way no. it was always going to go if things didn't go right. So go listen to that. You'll get the scoop on everything from Nurkic to Stotts to whatever. The only thing you won't hear in there is Norman Powell because we didn't have him yet. LaMarcus Aldridge was obviously a very well-loved blazer at one time. Yeah, for, for a minute. He was. Okay, he was a blazer. Well known. <laughs> he was a blazer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Out of context. Well, I, uh, Aldridge, he was a blazer. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't win here. I know, I know. It's just Marcus Aldridge, no longer well loved. And, you know, well, he was kind of well loved. We can talk about that more, but went from well loved to he was a blazer. He no, <laughs> it was, it no was longer. It was he's not, he's not a blazer anymore. He has not been for a while. Um, but he announced earlier this week that he is retiring. Normally, I feel like there's um, mixed feelings about that simply because usually a player has had a career and they've chosen to end that career for whatever reason. But in this case, it's because of a heart condition, which is always a little bit sad, you know, to, to have somebody like that who has had a good career and who still had some time left to have to cut that career short because of a health issue. That's a serious health issue. And, and he's making the smart choice for himself, for his health, for his family. It's always sad. And so I hate to see careers end in medical issues and injury. That's no matter how much you love or hate a player, that is always a tragedy. It is true. He had that condition. Of course, it was long-term. First found out about it when he was very young uh, with the Blazers in his career. And I'm happy that he was able to play as long and as well as he could. Sad that it had to end early. You know, he could have potentially gotten a ring with the Nets. Uh, and that would have been nice to see. That said, LaMarcus, when you said he was well-loved, I kind of made the, eh, because, not because he shouldn't have been, but because he was just always chronically underrated. From the time he was a rookie alongside Brandon Roy, and Roy got all the attention, rookie of the year. Of course, as I said in my write-up after he retired, I mean, Zach Randolph was there. And yes, LaMarcus would play center, and, and, and he did, but that wasn't really his best position. It was power forward, and there wasn't minutes, and there wasn't shots for him there. So Brandon got rookie of the year while LaMarcus kind of got the learning position. But even then, you could see it. And especially during the latter part of that season, LaMarcus really showed. And he was enough after one year to get them to move Zach Randolph for kind of peanuts, which they had been hoping to do for a while, I think. But the fact that they were willing to pull the trigger on a Zach trade, and this was a franchise star, uh, and get Marcus Camby in return, essentially, 
uh, was indicative that they thought LaMarcus was ready, and he was. Now, he got overshadowed again by Greg Oden, who was drafted, and then Oden didn't turn out to be anything, and then Roy's knees went kaput, and all of a sudden, it was just LaMarcus, and it was just like the guy who's been kind of in the bus, but a little bit you know, farther back, all of a sudden is driving it. And you're going like, well, I guess it's you and me now. And LaMarcus like, damn straight. And for two and a half, maybe three years there, he was the man. And he was as bankable and talented as anybody we've seen, certainly at the forward position for Portland and among the best stars we've seen, period. His ability to hit that elbow jumper, especially off the pick and pop, was amazing. And the fact that he had a turnaround baseline jumper as well and could rebound and occasionally defend a little bit, that was a lot. Uh, But he was literally one of the few players I've ever seen that you could look at his shot and say, that is going in. And you were right, even before he released it. He had an ability that was amazing. So I think he should be remembered for that, not how he came up, not how he left, not anything in between, but that shot made him one of the greats. It's an interesting conversation because part of the game of basketball is players don't always stay on the same team. You know, circumstances affect that. Their own lives and preferences affect that chemistry on a team or simply just the fact that a team needs a certain kind of player and they're not it. Players are traded against their will sometimes. They don't have a say in it. These things happen and it's part of basketball. And I know as a Portland fan and being around Portland fans, there's a lot of hurt (laughs) that happens in Portland when a player is traded or moved to another team. People feel betrayed. We see it even a little bit with Gary. People were just up in arms about it. And and I think it's one of these things, and this is how I know I've become a mature basketball fan, Dave, is that I really find that I'm enjoying more and more watching. Like Gary is a prime example of that. I love watching Gary on the Raptors because he fits and he's thriving and it just is such a good thing. And I think that that's another one of those things that is just important to remember. If you're going to be a fan of basketball and you're going to be a fan of the team and you're going to be a fan of players on the team, it's okay when they get traded. They aren't traitors. Now, every now and then something happens where they leave on bad terms, but which Lamarcus is- did. I mean, he left in free agency. He wasn't traded. He had the opportunity to talk to the Blazers and basically didn't. And took off for San Antonio, which is what people were bitter about, right? Right. But that's, again, that's part of it. I didn't mention that part. I was talking specifically about trades, but that's part of this game. It's, it's, you know, for these guys too, this is their job. It's their business. They're making business decisions on top of everything else. And I think it's okay to be happy for these players who go on to be somewhere else and to thrive in that situation. That's okay. It's okay. We can still appreciate the time that they had. It's the same thing with Clyde. Clyde went on to play in Houston instead of finishing his career in Portland. And there are people who are bitter about that. But the fact is that it's okay. It's okay for them to go to another team and it's okay to be, you know, to, to still like them. Yeah. I mean, that was a pivotal moment, maybe the most pivotal moment of the 2000s outside of drafting Damian Lillard and Brandon Roy and, and Greg Oden's knees falling apart. Okay. Him leaving was a big deal. But it was also a soggy toast kind of thing. Were the Blazers worth staying with at that point? Kind of not. I mean, they would get better, sure. But if LaMarcus's critique was, this team is not going to win a championship, they haven't really gotten much closer than they were then. In fact, yes, they went farther. Technically, they went to the Western Conference Finals because they finally got a draw that did not include the Golden State Warriors until the Conference Finals. But and, and again, all credit to them for beating Denver. That wasn't easy. Beating Oklahoma City wasn't easy. I get it. I get it. I get it. At the same time, LaMarcus had, you know, some really nice playoff runs too, especially with Dame against Houston. So that was already there. And look, I think the argument is solid that they weren't getting better. And if he wanted to 
win a ring and really be serious about it, going elsewhere was a better idea. And at that time, San Antonio looked like they were poised to, you know, lift him up there because Tim Duncan was getting older. And there you go. I mean, LaMarcus comes in as the heir apparent and they win more rings. I get it from his point of view. At the same time, Blazers fans, he wasn't really LaMarcus in San Antonio. Never was. And never once did I see him and go, Oh yeah, that's gosh, I'm so sad that he got paid a billion dollars to go there in the Blazers. You know, that's the guy that they really, really needed. He was better in Portland. His best yeah. years. The Blazers got his best years, period. Yeah. So you didn't lose as much as you thought, even though it was a hugely pivotal moment. And would they've been better off with him? Yeah, probably. But he wasn't that. He didn't leave you and then become a better person with someone else. He he left you and right. then he was still the same him, just slightly worse and not as effective. And eventually you wouldn't kind of want him at all at that price. But at the end of his contract, he wasn't worth it. And that's not to impugn LaMarcus at all. Get get your money. He was worth it because that was an investment back then in the present that they paid for in the future. Fine. But by the time 2020, 2019 rolled around... LaMarcus wasn't the answer and wouldn't have been the answer in Portland. So you can say, ha ha, we were all worked up about that, but all's well that ends well. And nobody really got helped and nobody really got hurt too much. So call it good. Yeah. I think it's just one of those things where, you know, we look at it now and he's at the end of his career and it's okay to be, to look back on his time as a blazer with fond memories and wish him well in his future. And, you know, hopefully he is able to stay healthy and, you know, right. do well. And remember the good stuff because that's what he gave you. That's the thing yeah. is that you might as well remember the good things because he didn't do anything wrong. He right. did nothing wrong. Nothing, no. nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, he played out his entire contract in Portland. He played injured. He gave them playoff runs. He gave them a number one option. He gave them a good compliment to Damian Lillard while Lillard was still young enough to not be able to carry the team himself. He did everything that could have been asked and under circumstances that were different than he himself would have chosen. He gave you everything that could be reasonably expected. Don't blame him for that. And don't blame him for walking. Once that contract was done, he's allowed to do that. That's why it's a contract. So yeah, I might as well remember the great stuff that he did. And he is uh, there's there's a serious argument. He's the best power forward ever to put on the uniform, depending on what you're looking for. You certainly can't discount him as the best top three. And he, he may be one of the best players, like top 10 easily, to put on the Portland's uniform. You, you got what you wanted when you drafted him and more. Call it good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So we wish him well. We hope that he is healthy and you know able to take care of whatever's going on there with his heart and glad he's, he's getting out before something happened. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, Godspeed and thank you is what everybody should say. Once a player gets traded or moves on, whatever faults he had is not hurting your team anymore. When, when CJ McCollum gets traded, wait a second, my son just decided he's his favorite player. He is no longer allowed to be traded. Still can wear the red shoes. When, when, (laughs) when he gets traded, I will remember, I will remember only, only the good stuff because you know what? The defense isn't hurting you anymore. The, the mix with the, with the starting lineup that kind of has a ceiling that doesn't exist anymore. So who cares? Remember that the dude was one of the best offensive players the Blazers have ever had period. End of story. He's maybe the best mid-range player in the NBA or has been the last couple of years. He's fantastic. Remember that. I mean, gosh, yeah. life is too short. If you want to nitpick, nitpick with an idea of changing toward the future and holding accountable those who make those decisions. Don't nitpick a player for what he isn't or what he was when he's not here anymore. I don't want to talk about CJ getting traded because oh, that's no going to be... Neil Olshay is still here. He won't. It's a, they'll let... They'll let Norman Powell walk before they'll trade CJ. Well, I don't like that either. Okay, this is a whole other conversation we shouldn't get into We had into this tonight. last week, so right. Yeah. yeah. The $100 yeah. million dollar trio uh, of guards. Uh, yeah. yeah. We are so I looking. Mean, and here's the thing. You can tell, too, that Portland has gotten smarter because four years ago, we would have been the only ones saying this. And now you can see it like dawn on everybody really quickly. We might still be among the first to say it, frankly. 
listen to Dave and Dan, but and Dan Morang. <laughs> uh, but that said, people are catching on to the rhythm pretty quickly, and people can see this coming with Powell. And by the way, I would not be surprised. People are saying, "There's no way he can be just a rental, right?" You carry traded Gary Trent Jr. for him. Well, Gary Trent Jr. was just a rental at this point. Gary Trent Jr. was not staying. So like you got a better rental. And if that's what the Blazers did in their eyes, it makes sense. But everybody's going to throw up their arms in June and say that's horrible when he walks, uh, if he walks. And really, it's not horrible. It's what they, I mean, part of the game, what they planned kind of, I mean, if he goes, I'm pretty sure that they at least halfway planned for that contingency because you know what? That's who they wanted. And that's who they got for Gary Trent Jr. Hopefully he stays. We've had that conversation, but anyway. we'll see. I'd like his downhill drives. Boy, he's he's sure. Would you give him the ball and a little crack in the defense? Norman Powell looks yep. great. He's fun to watch. I really, I'm really, really enjoying him more than I imagined that I would. I'm if nothing else, he's giving us an enjoyable half of a season to watch. You know, and if that's it, again, that's all Gary Trent would have given you to Gary Trent Jr. And he has a happy home in Toronto, so don't worry. Yeah. Everybody yeah. be happy. We're still 32 and 25 uh, at this point. Yeah. So we're still over, you know, winning over, over half our games, man. It's the lateness is get, catching me all of a sudden. Yeah. We're over 500 and we are still in the playoffs. So just stay out of the play. in, as we always say, that's our thing. That's our thing at the yeah. end of every end, by the way, also lasting, we said last week, how the Blazers play Memphis is going to determine their ultimate future. By the time you I think hear I this, take that, back. that is here. By the time you hear this, the next game you will see is the Blazers versus Grizzlies on Friday night. They do it again in a home home double on Sunday. Then they travel to Indiana, but then the next day they end up in Memphis again. So by the time you hear this, three out of the next four games are against Memphis. At this point, depending on what happens with Denver, if they've lost to Denver, boy, they better plan on winning all those Memphis games. But they, as we said, they've got to win at least two of them. If they go one and two against Memphis, it's going to be really, 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 really tough to make it up with the rest of the schedule. So here we are, folks. Hope for three out of the next four wins minimum, maybe four in a row. That is what they're shooting for. And if they do that, I think they can stay out of the play-in, perhaps. If they don't do that, start uh, itching on the back of your neck and hoping that they can win a one or two game series. Well, way to end it on a positive note, Dave. <sighs> hey, give them a chance. They, you know, we need to win at least two or three. They can do that, right, Dia? They, rainbows, of course unicorns. they can. They can win all of them. Yeah, exactly. Someone used your rainbows and unicorns tagline the other day, by the way. I mean, oh. I, I haven't copyrighted it. Oh, we should have. I probably at least need to put it on a t-shirt. Yeah, ex- Ooh, yeah, that would be great. It's Dia wear. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be a fashionista and to set trends. Yeah, more you know. than you do already. All right. With that, we will bid you farewell and we will see you again next week when we will talk about that Denver game that you just saw, plus all the Memphis games. We will know what the record versus Memphis was. We're going to talk about that very first thing. You're either going to hear us happy as larks in the spring or marching to a, a dirge depending on what happens. We will see you next time. Tune in for that. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent!